As you are seated, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And this morning, if you uh, need a Bible, you can take the one that's in front of you and you'll find Hebrews 13 on page 1009 in that Bible. As you're turning to Hebrews 13, I just want to say a word quickly about uh, the Bible studies that are coming up this fall. I think um, all of you have received in the mail or through email or you've seen it online um, that the women's Bible studies and the men's Bible studies, different opportunities for us this fall. You may have noticed that both the men and the women are going to be studying through the Gospel of John this fall, in fact, the entire year, doing that somewhat simultaneously, although I feel like the women always accomplish way more than we men do. Uh, we're a little slower uh, on, the, on the process there. Um, but both are going to be in John. In fact, our children's ministry is working um, with those different Bible studies during the child's care and, and having our kids study in John too. So it's going to be a great time for us as a church. You know, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. He says it passionately. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And that's our goal in studying the Gospel of John together as a church uh, this next year uh, in our Bible studies, is that we would know Christ more fully, more deeply. And now let's turn our attention to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And before I read these few verses, I want to have a, give us a little context of why we're here in Hebrews 13. Some of you who've been here the whole time this summer recognize that we're in our study of the Minor Prophets, that we just finished up Zephaniah. And next week, we're going to start Nahum. And you might be wondering, so what in the world are we doing in Hebrews in between? Well, that's a great question. Damon's already mentioned the fact that this is our officers' retreat weekend. And many of our officers are on a retreat, and they're being encouraged and challenged in the Word. I was with them Friday night and also yesterday morning. And Reverend Ray Cortese uh, has done a magnificent job of opening God's Word Uh, for our officers and our pastors and really giving them even a deeper understanding of what it means that God has been clothed them in righteousness that he has that he has loved us way more than we could have possibly imagined and so it's been great to be at that retreat so they're they're there many of our officers are there at the retreat and they're being encouraged and challenged and so I thought well what about us what about us here uh, this morning wouldn't it be a great opportunity for us to be encouraged and challenged so that as our officers are, are, are figuring out more and more what their role is, that we as a congregation, we could figure out more and more what our role is in relationship together so that we could be the family of God together. I would say, though, there's probably a few clarifications I need to make if those of you who've read these verses already and kind of see where I'm going, uh, let me give these clarifications. Um, number one, I just want you to know in the 20 plus years that I have been at this church that this congregation, I've watched this congregation be so kind and so gracious to its leaders. In many ways, you are a model of a church that has cared for its officers and pastors in a way that, um, that other churches need to take notice. It's very encouraging. So thank you for that. The other clarification I want to make is, obviously, as you look at these verses, there's really two sermons here. There'd be a sermon for officers, and there'd be a sermon for the congregation. There's responsibilities that are made clear here about our officers, about our elders and our pastors. But, you know what? Many of them are at the officers' retreat. They're getting, they're getting what they need. So why don't we focus on the part of these verses 
and what we need and our response to that. My last clarification is this. I imagine some of you are thinking, well, this seems kind of self-serving for you, Todd. You're going to tell us how we should behave towards people like you. Makes me think of every time I hear in the news that Congress has voted itself a new raise. I always think that's hilarious. They say, you know, announce, well, the Congress has decided with a vote that was, you know, like 100% uh, to give themselves a raise. And I'm like, of course they did. Who's going to, who's votes against that, right? But why do they get to vote for their own raise? How does that, that doesn't even make sense. Well, that could possibly seem like this is what's going on here, which is why I'm very thankful that you have your Bibles open because what you can do is you can check my work. You can make sure that I'm being true to God's word as we walk through these verses. So let me begin reading verse seven of Hebrews chapter 13, and then we'll go to verses 17 and 18. The writer of Hebrews says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then go to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we sit under your word this morning, we would ask that you would speak to us. We want to hear from you, Father. So I pray that you would take all that might distract us from hearing what you have to say and keep it far from us. That your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place in such a way that we hear your words applied to our hearts. Father, do this for the sake of your glory, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do think it's important when you grab a couple, three verses out of a chapter at the very end of a book that we haven't been studying for us to have some sense of the context of where, where these verses are coming from. The writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Hebrew believers who are really struggling They're struggling with great persecution. They're struggling with great hardship. And they're wondering, they're wondering if following Christ is really worth it. And so the writer of Hebrews throughout this book is telling them, yes, Christ is worth it. Christ is better than anything. Christ is better than anything in this world. Christ is worth everything that you're going through. Don't, don't quit. Keep persevering because Christ is better. Christ, the writer of Hebrews says, Christ is your redemption. Christ is your mercy. Christ is your comfort. Christ is your rest. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your faithful shepherd. And he's going to take care of you. So fix your eyes on him. That's what he says. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, fix your eyes on him and let everything else that distracts you and sin that entangles you, let that go because Christ is better. Christ is all that you need. And so when he gets to chapter 13, he's now saying, okay, knowing that truth and sitting in that grace, then how do we live that out? How do we enjoy the privilege that we have to, be, to belong to Christ, to have this, this faithful shepherd, this high priest, this king who cares for us. 
in the, in the midst of that grace, knowing that we're dearly loved children of God, how do we live that out in relationship to each other in the context of the church and in the world? And that's what we find in chapter 13, instructions for living out that grace that has already been given to us. And in that, in chapter 13, we find this uh, uh, instructions on how to respond to the leadership God has placed over us in his church. How to respond to the leadership that God has placed over us in the church. And he really gives us five things here in these three verses. And the first is this. First two are found in in verse 7. And for those of you who love fill in the blanks, I gave you some fill in the blanks this morning. Um, Some of you told me, man, I really love the fill in the blanks. Helps me pay attention. So there you go. I'll try to make sure you get the words. The first is this from verse 7. Remember there, that's the leaders, remember their word-centeredness. Remember their word-centeredness. How do we respond to the leadership that God has placed over us, remember their word-centeredness. Notice in that verse, verse 7, two things that I think are so important. It says leaders, plural, remember your leaders who spoke the word, who spoke to you the word of God. And those two things right there are safeguards for us in church leadership. And they're very important. One is the plurality of leaders And the other is the authority of the word of God. And those become safeguards for us in in leadership within the church. First, the the plurality of leaders. See, God has given us elders. He's given us shepherds. It's it's plural. The, the, The one shepherd is the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Rusty gave us scripture from Ezekiel where God, where Jesus, where God promised that he would give us Christ as the shepherd. But underneath the shepherd, he's given us shepherds. He's given us elders. And it's plural. And that's important. Because it keeps us from from a situation in a church where there'd be autocratic leadership. Where one person is completely in charge. You see at Second Presbyterian Church, there's 36 elders who sit on the session together. And they're mutually accountable to each other. And it's not as individuals... It's not as individuals that they, that they give us instruction. It is as a body, as, as a group, that they give us instruction so that there's not this autocratic leadership. The other thing that's important safeguard here for us is the authority of the Bible. It says, remember the leaders who did what? How do you define those leaders? You define it as those who spoke the word of God to you. So that the Bible is the ultimate authority. What are they supposed to do with their leadership? They're supposed to lead you to God's word. They're supposed to give you God's word. They don't give you their own opinion. They don't give you their own thoughts. They give you God's word. Remember those who've done that. And in that, we have a safeguard, first of all, from autocratic leadership and spiritual abuse, but it's also a safeguard for us. It keeps us from idolizing a person. Keeps us from idolizing a person. We're tempted to do that. We're tempted to find that preacher that we just love or that, that elder, that leader. We just think is, man, everybody should be like them. And then the more you get to know them, you find out, wow, there's some things that are not perfect about them. In fact, sometimes when you really get to know them, you're like, well, there's some stuff that, boy, they really need, they need some work on that. I think that's important. Because it's our temptation to, to idolize a leader rather than to look to Christ or rather than to listen to the word. I think it's great when we see weaknesses in our leaders and understand, oh, I can't rely on them. 
I'm relying on the word that they give. I'm relying on Christ himself. You know, I've seen this kind of sneak up, this idolization that I, that I think is not helpful for us. I've seen it kind of sneak into our, our lingo in the last probably 20 years. Not just at second, but in, in campus ministries and in student ministries and in other churches. Somebody will say, well, so-and-so discipled me. As if there's some kind of, you know, you know formation, some line, some legacy that you're a part of. This individual discipled me. And great, they probably did. That's awesome. But they're not the only ones who discipled you. <laughs> in fact, everyone who's given you the word of God has been part of your discipleship. Now, I can point to a few men and women who've had a significant impact in my life in a special and formalized way. But the truth is that every time I sit under the word, the word of God through somebody who's preaching the word of God, I am, I'm experiencing discipleship in that moment. It's the leaders, plural. And that's important for us. Remember them. Here in this context, The writer of Hebrews is really thinking of those who maybe have passed away, maybe those in your past. And he's saying, hey, remember them, remember them, but especially remember the word that they gave you, the word of God that they gave you, and thank God for that. So how do we respond to godly leadership? Number one, we remember their word-centeredness. Number two, we imitate their faithfulness. We imitate the faith, their faithfulness. Here in verse 7, it says, look at the story of their lives. That's why I think it's important here, why it's referencing here. Maybe, maybe uh, leaders who have gone to be with the Lord, who've lived a full life, you've got to see enough of their lives that you can look at the story of their life. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, look at the example they set and imitate them. Look at their faith. Look at their faithfulness over a long period of time and imitate them. Now, he's not, saying don't, he's not saying imitate everything about them, right? He's not saying that you need to go ahead and dress like them. Some of you are like, thank goodness, because some of those elders and pastors, you know, they don't, I don't know if I want to dress like, that's fine. You're not supposed to do that. It's saying imitate them in how they have lived out their faith. Imitate them in, in anything that leads to godliness. Everything that they've done that has led to godliness, watch them, look at them and imitate that. Now, it's interesting. I didn't read verses 8 through 16, but if you have read those or if we read those right now, it would seem at first glance that they're kind of disjointed. That it's kind of like, oh, he said this about leaders and then he says this about Jesus Christ being the same yesterday, today and forever. And then he's saying something about strange teachings. And then he's saying something about sacrifices. And then he's saying something about hardships. And then he's saying something about a sacrifice of praise and work. And you're like, okay, is this just like, hey, he's got to get, I got a few more times, a few more things to write. I'm just going to give you a list of things. Which seem disjointed. But that's rarely <laughs> how the word of God comes to us. Usually it's a, a well, and this is no exception right here, well thought out. And so the writer here is actually moving on from that moment where he says, imitate their faith, imitate their faithfulness over the long haul. And he's giving four specific ways in which we are to imitate the leadership that God has placed over us. First of all, in verse eight, the writer wants to imitate their Christ-centeredness. 
See, he's saying, remember those in the past who spoke the word of God to you and you saw Christ in them. And sometimes we're like, wow, I wish Christ would work like that now, like it worked in that person that I looked at before. And, and the writer's saying, he is. So remember their Christ-centeredness and realize that they imitate, as you imitate that, that Christ that you saw work in the past is also the Christ that's going to work right now and the one who will work forever. So look at their Christ-centeredness and imitate them in that. See how they live that out and, and follow their example. Secondly, in verse, uh, the next verse, verse 9, says, imitate the maturity that they have in the word. You watch them kind of grow in maturity around the word of God. They weren't just, they weren't just chasing every single kind of spiritual Christian American church fad. They weren't moved around by every little thing that, that seemed to move everyone else around. Instead, you saw them maturing in, in their faith through the word of God. So as you see them maturing, imitate that. Imitate that growing maturity through the word. And then in verses 13 through 14, it says, imitate their willingness, your leader's willingness to, to bear reproach or hardship, to, to go ahead and, and for the sake of Christ, because they're Christians, to be the ones that sometimes were left out, be the ones that sometimes didn't get to, didn't get to be a part of things because they were trying to follow Jesus and recognize their, their example of, of willingness to bear reproach for the name of Christ because, it says there in verse 14, they had their hopes set on something eternal. They weren't trying to develop their own kingdom here on earth. They weren't basing their hope, hopes and plans on what's taking place right now. They weren't anxious about what they were going to lose in the right now. No, instead, you watch them, and they seem to be pretty at peace with whatever was going on because their hope was set on the future. One of my mentors, someone who has been uh, one of the many disciplers in my life, says this, and he said it often My retirement plan is heaven. I love that. My retirement plan is heaven. He's just saying that that's when I'll, that's, <laughs> that's when I'm going to rest and stop and, and chill and coast. That's my plan. I have a retirement plan, Todd. That's it. Again, a willingness to endure whatever because their hope is set on something else. And then lastly, the specific way we can imitate their faithfulness is in verse 15 and 16, their worship and their work. Do you notice how they worship? Do you notice they worship God? Do you notice how they offer sacrifices of praise? Do you, do you see their work? You see they're working for the kingdom of God and they're giving themselves to that. So as you watch their lives and you want an example to follow, follow that example. Go ahead and remember their word-centeredness, but also imitate their faithfulness. And then number three, now we go to verse 17. Number three is to trust their guidance. Trust their guidance. Two words there that in our culture at this time, verse 17, they hit hard, don't they? They're very uncomfortable words. Obey and submit. I mean, right, right away we're like, ooh, ooh, how, what are we going to do with that? And we want to put qualifications on it right away, don't we? Obey and submit if, you know, blah, blah. 
Well, let's just look at those words for a second. First of all, in the original language, the word obey there is, is actually a word that could be defined broadly. And it mean, it's, it's um, uh, translated different ways in different places, even in the book of Hebrews. In other places, it's translated persuaded by, be persuaded by. Other places, it's translated rely on. And in some places, it's translated trust. So it's this, this broad word, kind of a, a soft obey. <laughs> the other thing that's there, submit, is a little more specific. And it's kind of the point. And it really means, literally means to make room for. Or like, you know, getting on, getting on the highway when you're getting on you know, ramp and you're going and there's a sign right there. What does it say? Yield. Right? Yield. Make room for the car that's flying or the truck that's flying by. Yield. It's even better. It's even better in the UK. So Megan, look out for this. It's even better. Instead of of saying yield, it says give way. Give way. And that's what this word means here. To make room for, to yield, to give way. So trust is a good word to say. Trust their guidance. I love how Piper puts this in response to this specific verse. John Piper says this, a church congregation should have a bent towards trusting its leaders. You should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitude and actions toward their goals and directions. You should want to imitate their faith and you should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. I'm going to read that again because it's really good and it's not me. So you can't even, you can't even complain to me about it. John Piper says, a church congregation should have a bent toward trusting its leaders. You should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitudes and actions toward their goals and directions. You should want to imitate their faith. You should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. In other words, trust their guidance. Now, I want you to notice something in that verse. I want you to notice the heavy weight that is on our officers and pastors in this church and in every church. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And then it says this, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Oof. Their job is to keep watch over our souls. And they're going to have to give an account for how they did that. Of course, the question is, who, to whom are they going to have to give an account? Is it to us? Do they have to give an account to us for how they're watching over our souls? No. Worse than that for them, they have to give an account to God for how they've watched over the souls of the church in which they were called to lead. I want you to know and be encouraged that our two PC elders take this very seriously. When they read something like James chapter 3, verse 1, where James says, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that those of you who teach will be judged more strictly. And then he goes on to talk about how they talk and how they interact. And I love that, 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 that the elders here, like I said, have been here for 22 years. That they take the weight of keeping watch over our souls very seriously. In fact, so seriously that every single session meeting I have been to since 2001, 
has begun with the elders all getting on their knees and spending time in prayer for all of us. It's a late night already (laughs) for them. Had dinner, they've had business together with joint officers and then they get to the business of just the session and they start they start by all getting on their knees and spending a significant time praying for us, praying for each other they feel the weight of that so I would say, you know what, we can, we can trust their guidance many of you know and make fun of me because i really, really uh, love the ministry of Alistair Begg. And I remember listening to this sermon once. He's talking to his congregation. And uh, when he's talking to his congregation, whom he loves, and he's been, he's been there 30 plus whatever years, he said to him at one point, to his congregation, he said to them, listen, I will always be your servant, but you will never be my master. And for a second, I was like, whoa. Is he allowed to say that? He's going to catch some flack for that. And he said it again. (laughs) I will always be your servant, but you will never be my master. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought that's right for church leadership. That's what we want. We want the elders of Second Presbyterian Church to see themselves always as the servant leaders of this congregation. But oh, please, may they never think that we, the congregation, are their master. May they always remember that the account that they give will be given to God. And that's to whom they answer. And if they do that, we can trust their guidance. We can trust their guidance. So remember their word-centeredness. Imitate their faithfulness. Trust their guidance. Number four, cooperate for their joyfulness. Cooperate for their joyfulness. You know, as recent as just last year, 2022, Barna came out with a study that said in 2022, in just this last year, 42% of the pastors in America seriously considered leaving the ministry. 42% didn't seriously consider leaving their church. 42% of the pastors in America seriously considered leaving the ministry. Several years ago, Duke University did a study and found that 85% of seminary graduates leave pastoral ministry within five years or less. That same study found that 90% of pastors in America don't make it till retirement before they leave ministry. I wondered, and I looked for it, I can't find anything, I wonder what that rate is for elders and deacons. I wonder what that rate is for elders and deacons. Do they just get weary? Do they get weary of our groaning so then they start groaning? (laughs) They get weary of how hard it is sometimes to shepherd the flock because the flock, like Todd Erickson, is so unruly. (laughs) It's just become a, a, a labor for them. I wonder what the stats are for elders and deacons. And yet here in God's word is this call to us as a congregation, right? As God's people in a church, in a local church, the call to us is right there. 
that we're supposed to help them lead with joy. That there's a responsibility we have towards them in our relationship with our officers to help them lead with joy by cooperating with them. That doesn't mean that you always agree with everything they decide. Doesn't. You know, a lot of the decisions, I, I, I haven't been part of a decision or even seen a decision here by a session of our church that has gone, I thought, the wrong way theologically. I think they've been theologically on point the whole time. But have there been some decisions, maybe strategically and others, that I thought, well, I don't know if I, I like that. Yeah, that's happened. I'm sure you felt that way too. Sometimes the decision that the elders or the pastors make, you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. Cooperating, trusting, giving way doesn't mean that you always completely agree, but it does mean that there's a disposition that we have even in our disagreement. And there's a cooperation that leads to their joy. And do you notice what it says here? I mean, obviously the joy is going to mean a lot to them. I mean, being able to serve with joy is a, is a great thing. But notice what it says there. It would be no advantage for us if they're not serving with joy. So there is an advantage to us if our officers are serving with joy. Like it benefits us. So as we cooperate with them, they, it's a great thing to be led by joyful leaders. It really is. So we cooperate for their joyfulness. Remember their word-centeredness. Imitate their faithfulness. Trust their guidance. Cooperate for their joyfulness. And finally, number five, pray for their endurance. Pray for their endurance. The writer of Hebrews says right there in verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And even as he puts those two together, you can, you can see it. He's saying, help us continue this. We think we're doing okay so far, but please pray for us so that we can be faithful. Please pray for us so that we can continue to be honorable. Please offer prayers for us. And so we too need to be offering prayers for our officers, our pastors, for their endurance. I have a lot of friends who are pastors, who are elders, who are still serving as pastors and still serving as elders. And there is no doubt in my mind that the length of their, of their, of their ministry, the, the faithfulness, the endurance that they're experiencing, the reason they're still doing it, there's no doubt in my mind, is because of the faithful prayers of members of their congregation. Some of the names they know some of the men and women who pray for them, they know their names. Some of those men and women who pray for them, they won't know until they get to heaven. And then they'll know, oh, I get it. I was sustained in ministry by the faithful prayers of her, of him. Pray for their endurance. Cooperate for their joyfulness. Trust their guidance, imitate their faithfulness, remember their word-centeredness. Years ago, just out of college, I was at a small country church called Ebenezer Presbyterian Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I was a young, idealistic youth pastor. I mean, I was pretty sure I knew how a church should be run. (laughs) 
I was a biblical studies major. I was going into youth ministry. I, I knew what would really make the church work. That's how I thought. And I'm in this country church. Some of these elders seem simple to me in my sophistication at 22. (laughs) And I remember one evening at the session meeting, I just happened to be at the session meeting. I was not a member of the session. Um, I was the youth guy. But there was a decision that I wanted to see how it went because it did affect me. And it didn't go the way I wanted and I thought, it was, I thought it was a really bad move by the session. I thought, these guys just don't know what they're doing. I was really frustrated. My frustration must have uh, been pretty obvious because as I was walking out to head to my car that evening, one of the elders, Marty, caught up to me outside the church and he said, hey, Todd, I, I sense that you're pretty frustrated with what happened. And I, I said, yeah, and I gave him the litany of, you know, all the things of how smart I was about what we should do. And I'll never forget this, obviously, because I'm telling you. With incredible gentleness, this elder of many years said to me, he said, Todd, I know you're frustrated. But I just want you to know that what you're going to see in your lifetime is that overwhelmingly, most of the time, God works through the session that he puts in place. You're going to see that. Most of the time, overwhelmingly most of the time, he said, God works through the session that he's put in place. And then he said this to me, he said, Todd, very gently, but very firmly, be patient Be humble. Be teachable, Todd. And then he said this, trust God by trusting them. Trust God by trusting them. That was 35 years ago. And you know what? Marty was right. Marty was right. And I'm thankful for that leader. I'm thankful for that under-shepherd in my life who is there leading our church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for being the good shepherd who shepherds your flock in such a way that you go after the lost, that you mend the broken, that you care for the downcast. And thank you that you have given your church, in your church, under shepherds who, following your example, care for us as your flock. Father, we do pray for them and ask that more and more they would understand that you are their delight and their reward. And Father, we pray for us that you would help us to be patient, to be humble, to be teachable, that we might trust you by trusting them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.